This is First You Hustle, a podcast from the Columbus College of Art and Design meant to help students and creative professionals put their expertise to use. And this is an episode in our three-part art preservation series. Wait, this doesn't sound like art preservation series music. Let's change that. Ah, much better. Join us now for part two of this three-part series featuring professionals in the field of art preservation from a recent live panel discussion on campus. With the panel event stretching over 90 minutes, we've divided up the presentation to feature each panelist's responses individually. For this episode, Lindsay Jones. Lindsay's background in construction and historic preservation has blended over more than a decade of experience into a dedication to the specific repair and restoration of historic buildings and public artwork. For her undergraduate degrees, she studied both architectural history and construction management at Ohio State University, and she later earned her MS in Historic Preservation from the University of Oregon. Her background includes both construction management and hands-on historic conservation roles, with a special focus on introducing subcontractors to historic preservation practices. Make sure you listen to our other two episodes to hear from Sarah Marsham's work in preservation consulting, Chloe Singer as an archivist, and John D'Elia's work in preservation through real estate. Now let's join Namisha Bott, our host in the prestigious Kanzani Auditorium on the campus of Columbus College of Art and Design. All right, I think we're going to go ahead and start. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, We are here to talk to you about careers in preservation, specifically as art grads, and what that can mean for you making connections from your art background into preservation as a career. So my name is Namisha. I'm actually cataloging an instruction librarian here at CCAD, so if you've seen my friendly face in the library. That is why. I'm going to have the panelists all introduce themselves and maybe give like one or two sentences describing what you do. I'm Lindsay Jones. I'm the owner of Blind Eye Restoration. I'm an architectural conservator. So how many of you have actually heard of preservation or like the word preservation or know what it is? Cool. Because it can be really convoluted, right? So The definition that I pulled, historic preservation is a conversation with our past about our future. It provides us with opportunities to ask what is important in our history and what parts of our past can we preserve for the future. And really preservation can be the physical act of saving things or creating programs, creating content, um, ways to connect with the community in order to keep ideas alive. And really while we're talking with our panelists here, we're gonna highlight the ways that they specifically through their jobs and their passions are keeping ideas alive through preservation and the arts. So for our first question, what was your educational or occupational journey like and how did you get to where you are now? Lindsay, tell us about your journey. Yeah, so um, I feel like John and I kind of had some overlap there. I uh, started off going to work with my dad. Um, he was he, he's actually an engineer, electrical engineer who got sick of sitting at a desk and so he decided to start his own handyman business um, and I was the oldest uh, of my siblings so when I got too old to go to daycare instead of paying for somebody else to watch me or trusting me to be home I guess um, I had to go with him during the summer so um, basically from the time I was like 11 or 12 um, I've been working in construction so um, I'm 31 now and I have over 15 years of experience and not a lot of grown professionals can say that. I've had people <laughs> joke like, hey, you should try something else. Okay. You stick with what you know. Um, but yeah, so I went to work with him and uh, we actually ended up working a lot in Mirfield. That was where his connections were at the time. Um, and it was kind of interesting because 
working there is actually part of the reason I really didn't want to get into construction initially. Um, when going into college, uh, I thought I was going to start off as a fine arts major. I was going to go into architecture. I, I swapped around a little bit. Um, but I, I just hated how these new buildings, these McMansions that we were working on, um, everything that we went in to fix was so boring. It was like broken, cracked vinyl, rotted wood, um, just nothing that was super valuable or exciting. It all just felt like piddly repair things and everything was always moldy and ugh. And just like, that's what construction is? I'm not interested in that. I always wanted to be in art, so I went to school to try and do something more artistic. Um, found out really don't like college. Um, I ended up with a master's degree, so it's kind of backwards, but I got out of there in three years after switching my degree like three times um, with an art history degree and ended up doing AmeriCorps um, for a year. I worked for Habitat for Humanity um, here in Columbus, and uh, I was working in their uh, construction department um, with the uh, planning and basically materials procuring and running uh, volunteers all around. Um, and that was great because it felt like there was a purpose to it and I, I knew that I had the knowledge and the you know confidence at least to like get myself around and talk to people and look at construction plans and all of that type of stuff. Um, but it still was kind of dry, like everything was the same, everything was all the same dimensions, all the same plans, they use the same house over and over and over, which is, I mean, they're a nonprofit, they only have so much funding, you have an architect give you a design, they flip the plan around a couple of times so that there's some variety and that's your plans. Um, they started getting into, well, I finished my year and they hired me back um, and I ended up going back to OSU for a year for construction management. And during that year, still working for Habitat, um, they started getting back, getting into f like flips. Uh, you would, they called them rehabs, but they weren't really rehabs. They would sort of sometimes try to keep original details and old houses, but mostly they were just straight guts. Um, and then just um, fixing up the insides and the outsides the way they would any of their other new builds. Um, but I realized how excited I was to see if they would keep like a mantle or something. It was just silly, but I was just like, I was so excited to see, like, oh, can we, can we save this? Can we save that? Do we really have to change around the floor plan? Like, what about this? And why are you using these materials? Wouldn't it be better to do something, something? And, um, and it just got to the point where it was, it was frustrating because I was so excited about it and they just, you know, they can't. They've got a plan. They've just got to roll forward, do what they're doing. Um, and I... Something with Ohio State had happened where they thought I owed them money and really they owed me money. And so they were like in the middle of that switch from quarters to semesters and instead of having like two years, I was gonna have to go for like two and a half years to finish that degree. And I was just like, ah, oh, forget it. I don't really wanna be a construction manager anyway. And I decided to go for my master's degree in Oregon. I got a master's degree in historic preservation, same as Sarah. Um, Actually, Sarah, I vetoed going to the same school as her at the same time. We could have met much earlier. Um, <laughs> you ruined out. our friendship. <laughs> I know, I know, I delayed. Um, but I went to Oregon. Uh, they had a program out there where you could do field schools um, during the summer. They had week-long hands-on programs. I helped uh, hew a huge timber log for a CCC shelter in um, National Forest out there. 
And the program was really great. Got to, I mean, you get to hear all about all the things that you kind of wished everybody had been doing the whole time. Um, and I still, I was excited about it, but I still kind of found that I was more on the construction side. I wanted to talk to people about why they built things this way, what was the design implication, what tools were they using, um, how did things work together then versus how things work together now. Um, and they honestly didn't have a lot of answers for me there, um, which was frustrating. My master's degree thesis um, was a long trudge um, because I was trying to um, express how to talk to contractors about preservation to integrate it into their businesses and everybody was just kind of like why that's not a thing there's not preservation contractors <laughs> um, and it's just kind of at the time looking back now I'm just kind of like yeah they really there kind of weren't then nowadays you see them more in companies that have branches of their business that are part preservation or they just they have people with certificates or you know something along those lines but back then there really wasn't and it was hard to describe that to people and what I was trying to accomplish and what I was trying to talk about um, and I I got through it um, I actually finished school and was working for a while in San Francisco um, for a really great company um, for a couple of years even before I finished my thesis um, but uh, working in the field helped a lot. I got hired as a project manager um, for a conservation firm. And the conservation firm was actually kind of a little sister spin-off of an architecture firm that um, they kept running into these buildings and projects and things where the client was like, okay, but now who do we get to do this? And the architect didn't know anybody so they built a company and they started hiring people in so that they would have resources on hand to say okay yes you need this fixed we can help you with the planning they will do all of the work um, but they got so big that we ended up becoming our own thing and we did a lot of our own planning and bringing in our own projects um, and bidding on things and um, I it was still small in number of conservators and hands-on folks um, so when they found out that I had hand skills, um, not just degrees and like know-how for budgeting and everything, um, they were like, oh, okay, well we need an extra hand come. And so I actually essentially apprenticed um, with uh, trained conservators on all sorts of things. I worked on mosaics and bronze and plaster and stone and wood and cleaning and finishes and paints and just everything you can think of um, that you would run into in an old cool building. Um, and on, at the same time, I'm bidding those projects and I'm finding contractors for those projects. And it was probably the best experience, um, really, of my adult life. Being in San Francisco, it was really expensive. It was really hard. I was trying to write my thesis at the same time. It was all very complicated, but I was learning a ton. Um, and eventually, I just, I don't know, office politics, I'd been there long enough. I wasn't going to move up at all. Um, I've met another contractor who had a window company. Um, he was still in San Francisco, and he was a small company. He was just him for a very long time, and he had just decided to start hiring people. Um, we had used him um, at my, my old company for a project or two, just because we hadn't done too many windows before that. Um, and so I had spoken to him, and he was really interested in working with me. He liked that I came with all this other knowledge and bidding experience. 
Um, and so I worked for him for a couple of months. Uh, working for a full-blown company with a salary was tight in San Francisco, but working for a small contractor who still wasn't, he wanted to give a living wage, but I, it's, it's hard even to live on a living wage in San Francisco. So I really valued that time, but I was kind of expensive um, and I was missing home. So I eventually moved back to Ohio. Um, the thing I said about not a lot of companies having conservation people or conservation companies in general and conservation in construction and project management being very slim field, um, there really wasn't a lot back here in Ohio for me when I moved back. Um, I knew a couple of conservation firms that actually interned with uh, Durable when I was in grad school. Um, I had connections with people at Centennial um, friendly, but they didn't really need to hire anybody in my type of position. Um, so I went to work for a developer. And that was another really great learning experience because while I was in San Francisco working on those conservation projects, um, I did a lot of, we, we did a lot of small projects like statues and like artwork pieces where it was kind of a confined thing and it never really grew financially into like large projects where like big bidding. Um, but working for the developer here as a project manager, I was hired specifically for my preservation expertise um, because they had worked on a couple of their first historic tax credit uh, rehab projects, um, turning schools over into living units. Um, and they kind of got ripped. Um, they were working with an architect who loved preservation and thought that they were like in it for the long haul and wanted to do everything like A plus grade <laughs> to get the credits, um, which is not really what you want to do when you're a developer. Um, and so she was like, you got to do this, 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 and this. And they did that. And then they were like a million over budget. So they found out that I had this preservation background and experience. And they were like, yes, you come in, work, talk to these people like find a middle ground. We need to find a middle ground because we still want to be able to do this. We still want to be able to use these tax credits, but we can't be spending that kind of money. Like we need to get like a C plus, not an A plus, um, which is frustrating from my perspective, but understandable from theirs. Um, and so I actually was managing like $9 million rehab projects um, where they come out of two years of planning and they give it to me and they're already behind schedule and they're like, you got to fix it. Find 12 contractors to complete this in six months, go. Just like, oh, right. Um, but it helped because I was back in Ohio, so I hadn't really developed my, um, my professional connections here. All of my connections are back in San Francisco. Um, so while I was working there, I actually met Sarah <laughs> um, and Misha and a couple of other people, contractors, um, project own owners, homeowners, different types of people who were just very supportive. Um, got uh, one of my own projects at the developing com development company um, was getting to a sticking point where they needed more specifically preservation, conservation related contractors. And there really just wasn't anybody around, honestly. Like the people that I could find were out of state and they were gonna charge a lot and they weren't gonna work on our schedule and they wanted to pull things out of the building that we were just like, no, 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 it's gotta stay here. It has to be done now. You have like a six week time frame or something. And they're just like, you can't do that. <laughs> um, uh, but I, at the time, I never really wanted to 
have my own company. Like I saw my dad working and I saw how hard he worked and I knew how much money he made and I, eh, it's not really worth it. Um, but I, I saw this opening in the profession and the area and I just decided to go for it. So that's basically how my company started. Um, I've had some pretty decent success. I've spent about almost three years. Um, and it's just finding people in the community that you really vibe with, that um, want to work with you, continue working with you. I found some really great uh, architects that want to work with me and people that see my expertise and know how I think through these things from all the perspectives and not just from the conservator or from the contractor. I'm not just trying to get money. I'm also a preservationist and I want to do the best for these buildings. And, um, I'm really interested in their particular materials and the historic significance of the things that I'm working on. And I always tell the client that I want to be your building's holistic health coach. Like you've heard of the building doctor programs that they have. Um, I'm not out here for a prescription. I'm not just going to tell you do this and it'll be fine. Buildings have issues with on not issues. They have need for ongoing care and maintenance. Um, and if you do the wrong thing, you could be taking you know a hump whole bunch of steps back instead of two steps forward. Um, so it's been really great kind of developing my place here where I'm not just a contractor, I'm also an educator. I work with Columbus Landmarks doing um, homeowner programs and I did a contractor training program down in Louisville with a heritage program um, that's going on there. Um, I just hired my first employee and trying to stay small but it's I don't know, it's a weird industry. Um, but so far, so good. I'm really liking it. I love that I still get to work with my hands, um, even though I have to run this company and it's 90% paperwork all the time. Um, We've got yeah, some nice visuals behind you of some of your work that you've done. Yes. Specifically, work on tiles, murals. Yeah, so the one on the left is a 40 foot tall mosaic of. It's a, kind of an abstract of the Last Supper in a Catholic church. Um, and the one on the right is in the same Catholic church. This is a mural that's directly over the altar, so same 40 feet high, directly on the ceiling, just getting it cleaned up. Um, and that was kind of cool, because you can see the old pencil marks from the people that actually originally painted it. Uh, and they just left them up there because nobody could see anything. That's very cool. Yeah. And then we just have a few more of you working on tiles and then me with a window because you do a lot of window work. Yes, so. I do. Windows actually, like I said, I'm very grateful for the, the window contractor I work for in California because um, as much as I want to talk about mosaics and paintings and things, uh, windows have become a really big, um, really big money maker in terms of my business overall. I, I try not to make it the number one and only thing. Um, but it's profitable and it's a major feature of a building that if it's not maintained properly, you lose a lot of integrity and uh, the health of the building really overall. And I'm sure artists can appreciate understanding the balance between finding projects that are really your bread and butter and give you a lot of money, but you might not necessarily be super jazzed about it. And yeah. then your other projects that are probably more rare that you're more interested in and just finding that balance. Exactly. And there's some beauty in the windows too. You find some really great ones. and. At least half of the windows that I work on were handcrafted by somebody that your great great grandfather's generation, um, and so it's it's kind of special. Even if it's just a one over one window um, that's square and kind of smallish, it's like you just know somebody put that together with hand tools 
um, and measured the opening and it's one of a kind, even if it's something super simple that nobody would really notice. All right, so our next question is, how did you figure out that you wanted to do what you're doing now? And how did you figure out your very particular niche? Uh, I've got a thought on that. Um, so not so, I mean, I kind of, my whole spiel was very long about how I got into what I want to do. It's just, I like being hands-on and doing what I want to do to start my business. But um, from the perspective of building my niche, um, that one is really kind of tricky because Preservation contractors are already a niche. Um, and it's been interesting because I, as of yet, really haven't spent a dime on advertising, um, which I'm gonna pat myself on the back, but it's not gonna last very long. Um, it's, uh, it's tricky because I don't know who to give the money to that's actually gonna have the most impact. Um, and really, it's come down to me building my spiel a little bit and really telling people why I'm there and why I care so much. And so that the holistic health coach thing, I want people to understand that the money that you're putting into this, I'm going to give you a finished product, yes, but I'm also gonna give you a maintenance plan. I'm gonna give you an understanding of what it is that you have and how you should be taking care of it in the future so that you never actually have to see me again. If I'm done with your windows, you only need to call a painter every couple of years. You don't ever have to call me again unless something goes terribly wrong and I have a warranty for that. Um, and I also have kind of a, a spiel for why, when I, I talk to a lot of people and especially with Windows, folks are interested in hearing from me based on they think restoration is gonna be cheaper so they just automatically want me to give them a low number which is not always the thing. Um, and B, if it's not cheaper, how am I supposed to be better than something that's new? Um, and we kind of talked before about how old things can last longer. They've already lasted this long at least, and um, new materials may not always last as long. Um, but it's more than that, because you can't tell somebody who sees new materials and new buildings and um, updated health and safety codes in these new buildings and new materials and really have them believe you that even if these new materials aren't as long lasting that they're still better for them to keep around. Um, everybody's worried about energy efficiency and um, the materials that might be on said old buildings like lead and asbestos. Um, so I've actually recently had an interaction with um, a board member from a church that I was uh, talking to. And one, there were three gentlemen that were uh, present at the meeting. One of them was the maintenance manager, so he was just interested in seeing um, what the actual long-term tasks would be for him. Um, new or old, it was gonna be just another thing on his list. Um, there was a gentleman who found me, found my website, got very excited. It was like, we need somebody who does preservation. We need to preserve all the windows in our church. And then there's the third gentleman who had been there the longest of all the three. He belonged to the church almost since it was built. Um, and it was interesting because I actually learned the most about the history of the building from him, but he was also the one who was the most interested in putting in new windows, potentially. Um, and it was interesting because 
He loved this building so much. And you could tell that. You could tell that he had been there since it was built. He was so proud of it. He was so proud of how, like just the construction, not necessarily just the community. He was, he was proud of the building's construction and design. He showed me how it had this self-coating steel that was a brand new invention when the building was built. He talked about how the windows were the first of its kind to have insulated panels. Um, but this building is built right up against a bunch of new buildings and he was kind of longingly looking at these new construction and he just kind of said wistfully like well but what if we're missing out on something what if these new buildings these new windows can help us and and he was saying this from a perspective of he wanted his building to last longer he wanted to maintain his church as you know at least into the future until he was gone um, and hopefully generations more and I could tell that and that's what he was concerned with when he was talking to me and it was it felt really good to be able to talk about that versus the money obstacle and really talk to him about how these windows were built simply and they can be repaired simply and they can live forever they just need to be you know maintained on a regular basis and the engineering the historic quality of these windows is amazing you, it's hard to get historic tax credits for churches if you you look up the the standards um but this building has such unbelievably unbelievable design and engineering that i i would think it could probably fit through some loopholes i've been trying to talk sarah into it um and I was telling him all of this and I was saying, you know, it's near Ohio State campus, so I was thinking, it's, it's something to be said that, yeah, Ohio State might buy you out in the future and you want it to be in good condition so that they would continue to use it, you know, after you guys are gone or after it's a church. But thinking of this from the perspective of somebody who was not a part of your church from when it, the time it was built and has not been a part of your church community and a member of the congregation, when they come in and they see that windows have been replaced everywhere in order to improve energy efficiency, and so none of the historic material is still left, and they see that the historic steel has been painted over because somebody didn't like the color, and so that property of the steel is no longer visible, they see the building as maybe having lost its historic integrity, and it might actually get demolished faster because somebody from the outside looking at you and your maintenance of the building even though from your perspective it actually is out of love and care for this building, they might see that as, well, all the historic integrity is gone, the building's not useful to us anymore, and they'll take it down faster. Um, and so there's something to be said for maintaining your building for yourself and your community and also for the communities to come, because if you tear out pieces without discrimination, then people aren't going to be able to see what they should be paying attention to and what they should really love about the building. And I think that that's been one of my favorite things, talking with people about and learning about their buildings is the community that builds around that and why it's important. So it sounds like you've really been able to meld together your knowledge, your historical knowledge, your construction knowledge, your art knowledge, and just building a narrative around these buildings so that you can then talk through with building owners or whoever you have to talk to in order to take care of these buildings properly. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Cool. So if you came from an arts background, have you melded that? We've kind of talked about this already, but have you melded that with your current profession or career path? I'll say construction and art are very closely related. Um, like she was saying, the problem solving around everything, preservation is 
what makes conservation of buildings so much better than just regular building for me, for from co the construction perspective. Um, it's not like being an all-out artist, but a lot of times I get to work on murals and paintings, and you're constantly thinking about oil paints versus acrylic paints, like all the time, and different things like that, epoxies, how to sculpt things that aren't quite there if you're not trying to replace with wood, different things. It's it's really interesting. You get to play with a lot of stuff. I'm always in the art store. It's, it's kind of, that's a fun meld. So what are the unique ways that CCAD students can lend their talents to your line of work? Yeah, um, I'd say that probably, I mean, in the construction field, the best thing you can be is creative and thoughtful and be able to think outside of the box um, so that you can solve problems for people who are just used to doing the status quo and sticking to their specific job all the time. Um, my tactic has been kind of to do exactly the same thing always and forever and just be super expert at it and have nobody be able to question that mostly. Um, but I, as much as I know specifically one very special thing, I also kind of know the broader general um, field, um, like Sarah was saying, like you can kind of branch out and get to know what, you want to know a little bit about everything, but you, when you can hone in and have a very specific interest, um, having a niche is great um, because that's what's really going to find you the place where you're going to be the happiest. Um, and don't be afraid of that. I've had people tell me I was too general. I've had people tell me I was too specific. Um, as long as you're able to fill a need, um, and I think that creative problem solving and tactical understanding of materials and um, an appreciation for history and your built environment all coming together, it just it works out and it can work out in a myriad of different ways. What advice do you wish you had gotten as an adolescent or college student before embarking on your career? Don't believe that anybody in your profession that you look up to is like made of fairy dust. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> um, we are all up here because we busted our butts to get up here. Um, and it's just time. When you're in school, sometimes it feels like you're never going to get anywhere and you're never going to be the top in your profession or whatever. And it, it gets there. It gets there. You just got to talk to people, make connections, be a team player, um, learn all that you can learn, always be learning, um, and always be kind of selling yourself, not like, you know, confidence. Confidence when you don't feel confident and pushing for what you want, even when it feels maybe obnoxious, um, because that's how you get there. And the people that got there before you did it the exact same way. Nobody's any better. We're all human and have the same amount of hours in the day kind of stuff. Just because we look great on the internet doesn't <laughs> yes. mean we're not having bad days or struggles. And yeah, don't compare yourself to somebody who's like 20 years older or even 10 years older. Is there anything, if you haven't already said it, that you would like CCAD students to know leaving this or after listening to this that they should know when navigating a career in preservation if they today were like, I am now going to pursue preservation? I'll add that uh, Belmont Technical is just a little bit to the east here in Ohio. Um, great school if you want to have hands-on experience. They have a certificate there that you can take. Um, 
pretty affordable for advanced education program. Um, also, if you are interested in hands-on preservation, getting a summer job in construction, if you already have the artistic background, just building up your hand skills with tools and working in buildings and gaining connections that way is a really great opportunity. Um, I actually interned at the uh, Ohio Historical Society. Sarah mentioned that it is um, unpaid, but <laughs> it's a good good opportunity. Um, whether you're into hands-on skill learning or um, more of the, the people interactions, archives, that kind of thing. Yeah, you you'll get a lot of architect types. Um, they talk a lot about the conservation of big projects. Um, there's actually a association of conservators too. It's very similar to APT and I'm forgetting what the acronym is now, but it's the same thing as APT and both of them I think have student options for membership. Um, and they have a whole bunch of resources on their website. There's conferences, there's webinars, there's all sorts of things that you can do to get into that too. Um, really can't say enough good about Belmont too. Um, the girl that I hired went to Belmont and I'm always jealous every time she talks about anything that she did at school. Um, Blacksmithing, stained glass, they really plaster, delved into all everything, of it. everything. And there's also a program, there's like a really cool program. I don't know how old it is. I think there's one down in Charleston. There's big school down there where they do a whole bunch of it too. And they're much, I don't know about much more established, but maybe they're just more advertised. If I had known about Belmont before I went to grad school, I probably mm -hmm. would have done that instead. So I hope that was helpful for you. And if you have any other questions, feel free to find us after the panel. We have our emails up there if you want to contest, contact us that way. Chloe and I are here all the time, so if you see our friendly faces around, don't feel shy, you can just talk to us there. So, thank you so much. Thank you for listening and make sure you tune in to our other episodes on this series to hear from other areas of art preservation. It is a wide career field, so learn from the variety of experiences our panelists have had by tuning into the full series. Take care. <laughs>